0: What's up, Vicomar fans? Today's guests come straight from Shimano's North American team and played a major role in the creation of their GRX gravel groups. With the recent launch of the second generation GRX, I wanted to talk to them about the evolution of the group and how it fits into the global gravel scene. We geek out a bit on the tech, talk trends, and share an overview of the new parts and how they all come together. So without further ado, let's dive into it. Hey, Nick and Dave, welcome to The Bike Room Show. Thanks for having us. Thanks Thanks for for having us, us. yes. Yeah, so let's uh, just have you guys introduce yourselves real quick so people know whose voice is whose, and if you want to, you know, not just say your name, but kind of say, like, what's your role at Shimano? I'm Dave Lawrence. I am the road and gravel product
1: manager for North America. And I'm Nick Legan. I also work at Shimano, and I'm our road and gravel brand manager. For
0: North America. Right on. So product and brand. Exactly. Right on. All right. So I, I'm kind of curious, you know, like clearly there's, before we dive into the subject of the day, which is the new GRX group, um, in terms of just like how you guys work together, cause you also have counterparts in Europe and then also in Japan. Um, what's like, what's the relationship between brand and product? you know, is there like the brand side coming you know are you going to dave nick and saying you know like hey we really need this and dave's like there's no way we can make that you know like what's the how, how, do, how do you guys kind of go from like what the market you know what you see the market wanting to you seeing like well here's what we can do from a production capability standpoint from a production availability standpoint and then you know go, about go.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well i mean i would say dave leads the charge there in terms of uh, he needs to understand the market, and he's representing. He's the eyes and ears of the North American market when, with his discussions with his European counterpart and his Japanese counterpart. Um, and then, what do you do with that information, Dave?
2: Yeah, well, basically, we're working out probably three to five years, where I know Nick has to focus a little bit more on the present. So, but we're both actively involved in the writing, and so we work together on we go to events together. We call probably once a month, yeah. sometimes twice a month and talk about like what's going on. You know, I'll talk to him about what we're working on. He'll tell me what he's seeing, you know, and we kind of compare notes. So we, we like to work as a team. And then of course we have counterparts in Europe and then we have kind of our big bosses in Japan, the guys that help us kind of make everything happen.
0: All right. So Nick, you're, it sounds like maybe you're more after the fact, like, okay, Hey, hey here's our new product. Now you go make it sell.
1: (laughs) I'm doing everything in my power to not be after the fact. We're trying to integrate marketing and storytelling into product development from an earlier phase. So that's why it's so important for me and Dave to have a good relationship, uh, just like I have a good relationship with one of his Japanese counterparts, Hiroshi, um, and my counterparts, Edamura and Eric on the marketing side, is that we want to understand where where the ideas for these products are coming from so that we can speak directly to the consumer. Um, So, you know, we don't want to make up a story after the fact. It should be part and parcel, right? Yeah. So they should be in they should come from the same DNA, uh, in order to be honest. To be to be honest.
0: Yeah, that's the ideal for sure.
1: <laughs> We're getting there. I think yeah. you're doing a great job and I think GRX is, is really representative of that.
0: Yeah, well it's, it seems like it's been a long time coming, right? So you we just got we literally just, just wrapped up the presentation for the new group. So by the time you're hearing this it's the product's launched and actually available, which is <laughs> good job Yeah, that's kind of a big win for shimano <laughs> yeah. um so the you know the genesis of the grx group really was the Altiger rx which was basically an Altiger derailleur that had some change management which you guys like to call it shadow plus shadow max shadow Mex, shadow, shadow something mm-hmm. um not a clutch but yep. you know the, the common parlance is you know a clutch to keep sure. the cage in line to keep the chain from slapping all over the place and coming off the chain rings you know, how did you go from that to like a, like how long did it take? What were the steps to go from, you know, just having like an a derailleur that could go onto your normal road group to a full initial GRX group?
2: It was actually pretty quick. We went from Ultegra RX to GRX in one year. You know, we, you know, clearly we had a plan in place and we knew it was coming, but we also knew that the market was moving pretty quickly and we wanted to be there. And so you know, we had been traveling around, visiting events, going to, you know, kind of the epicenter of gravel, spent some time in Emporia and really knew that this was going to happen quickly. And so... And what year was this? Just the timestamp? So we did our... Well, actually, our first trip was 2015, um, but I've been pitching it for probably since 2014, uh, talking about, you know, cyclocross bikes on farm roads. and But 2015 is when my uh, counterpart in Japan came over and the two of us just kind of did a tour in uh, Colorado and got him excited. He went back and sold our president on the concept, and that really got kind of the wheels turning. But a critical part of it is also our European counterparts, because... Europe is a huge part of the overall market globally. And we needed to understand at a kind of a detailed level what this was going to mean for them. You know, this was an American phenomenon, but what we've seen in the past is this will translate to other markets pretty quickly. And so we needed to know how this would impact their market and, you know, how can we move forward with them as well? And the Ultegra RX was actually kind of the, the first foray into that for the European market because road is pretty sacred over there, you know, yeah, and especially in 2014, 2015, you know, yeah. it's kind of like, don't, don't mess with Durace and Ultegra. And when you start talking about, you know, riding this stuff on dirt, that's not cyclocross. It was, we had some good discussions early right. on, but I think because we worked together so, so well, so early, they saw the, the potential, in what gravel could become in Europe, we were already seeing it accelerating within our market. And then everything's getting so global. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to kind of hide an idea like this. We tried, we tried, yeah. <laughs> but like I said, it, it, you know, it, I know it's a long drawn out answer on how this all came to be, but it was really about identifying an early trend in riding and figuring out what could we do to help accelerate that. Mm -hmm. What could we build? And that's where GRX kind of settled in because we knew Altegra wasn't enough. The total gear ratios weren't right. The ergonomics the ergonomics. There were things we could do uh, you know, from pushing out the chain line to give more tire clearance, more mud clearance, but those things took time. So kind of the Altegra RX was kind of bought us a year and then we were able to launch grx the following year so right. that was 18 was Altair right. rx 19 was uh, grx and so here
0: we are in 2023 yeah so almost Second a Gen. decade after like the twinkle was in your eye but only about <laughs> five years after products actually started hitting the market just one more kind of like side glance before we start talking about the new products the Yeah, you you talk about Europe and it's funny like because, you know, there's you guys had some Europeans in here and, you know, we'll go over to European product launches and they come over here for product launches. And it's funny, like everybody's really interested in gravel. But as far as the scene goes in Europe, it seems like they're still four or five years behind. And, you know, Japan, even I was talking to one of your counterparts here, Uta, and he's like yeah, everybody loves gravel, but like, you have to go really far out on the, you know, in the middle of the country side to find Mm -hmm. gravel. There's nothing, you know, it's all private property near the city. And so there's like, there's interest in it, but not quite as many, certainly not as many events outside of the U S the U S is like, there's a gravel event every weekend somewhere. But so how does that kind of, it's weird. Like you must have demand and interest, but then are people just like buying and just going and playing when, cause there's not as many competitive opportunities elsewhere. I mean, there are a fair amount of events popping up now in Europe yeah. and, um,
2: especially like in kind of the Northern countries, you know, Scandinavia has got a big scene. Well, there's Finland gravel now. Yeah. And, um, Norway's got a bunch, uh, um, rounds in yeah. the UK has a ton of stuff. So it, the companies are also global, you know? So, our European counterparts have you know, customers that are trying to sell into North America as well. So they really want to know what's happening is here, as well as U.S. manufacturers are selling into Europe. So they want to know what's happening over there and Japan and Australia. So for us, that's why it's so critical to kind of understand the global scale. So of course, th- we're focused on North
0: America. Right. But- so does a brand like Shimano go to European promoters or and uh, some way try and like almost instigate events over there so that you create even a bigger market for yourselves? Or? We're certainly supporting events. So we're a global
1: sponsor of Grandura, for instance, and they're on uh, at least three continents at the moment, North America, Asia, uh, Japan in particular, and Europe. So I think that Shimano's role is to amplify and support what people are doing when we find something that we think is worthwhile or interesting or compelling or noteworthy. You mentioned play earlier, which I think is, is actually a pretty interesting idea. And I think that it, I would argue that Europe is narrowing the gap to the gravel experience in America, but it's going to be uniquely European. It's it's not going to feel the same. And I would argue it shouldn't feel the same. Yeah. The, the idea here isn't to to homogenize experience. It's to celebrate differences.
0: Well, what's different over there? Like compared to, you know, like let's pick two or three of the biggest U.S. ones, right? Like Unbound. I'd say maybe SBT gravel, the whole Belgium waffle ride series, right? Like, yeah. so what's compared to that experience, like how is European gravel ex- races yeah, those, and stuff? Those different?
1: are great examples, I would argue, uh, of, of American gravel. And what I mean by that is think about the the rolling hills, you know, around Emporia, the Flint Hills, big wide open expanses, SBT, the the Rocky Mountains, and they have the Alps and they have beautiful pasture lands. But we in America, we have a lot of space. We have this, all these rural roads um, and that that are public. And so the density is different in Europe. And the idea of open spaces is a little different there. Um, And so it's up to them to play with the spaces they have because none of this takes place in a vacuum. It's all venue-based. It's all location-specific. And that's why we feel options, for example, are so important to that when it comes to the product side of things. Um, But culturally, um, you know, a lot of people, I think, were hesitant to see UCI have a world championships in gravel. Um, I think it actually has incredible potential to grow the sport globally um, and to celebrate those, those unique uh, differences from region to region or, or location to location.
0: Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, so let's talk product then. So the new GRX version two is, you know, my initial impression of it is there's some, there are some cool brand new features, I think, but it's really a refinement of what you had and just sort of like a, a slight expansion of what those, that group can do. and you know, the nutshell version of it is it goes to 12 speed, which is a big one for a lot of people. What I like is you keep a lot of backwards compatibility in a way, and that or I guess, cross-compatibility, right? Like you can the two wider range cassettes for One Buy are basically your XT cassettes. So you have a 1045 and a 1051 that work on your micro spline free hub body. So the micro spline for the non mountain bikers out there that are just kind of coming into this, you know, that's the, the new free hub body standard for Shimano's 12 speed mountain bike cassettes. And you keep the same crank set, which is just goes to a 12 speed chain ring. So for somebody that has a group that wants to, get up to uh, go to 12 speed, you don't have to upgrade every part of the group. And then, yeah, just little refinements. I think the, the one that was most surprising to me to see that you guys did, which I'm glad you did, was the derailleur being able to just swap the cage yeah. out to be able to have it work with either of the one-by cassettes. Um, one thing I, I meant to ask in the presentation, you can just fill in real quick. So the if you're running the two-by group, because you also have a two-by group, is that the same derailleur as used with one of the one-bys or... No, totally different architecture. Okay,
2: yeah. So the one by is based on our mountain bike derailers and the two by is
0: based on the road derailleur. Okay, so you can't mix and match from one by to two by with the same derailleur. Correct. Okay, gotcha. But I think you. Most people are probably committed. You're either a one by person yeah. or a two by person, and you know I, I think like I've got a race coming up that I'm definitely going to go with the 42 chainring and the 51 cassette because there's just obscene amounts of climbing. <laughs> But it's kind of neat that, like, if I were going to do something flatter, I could just swap the cassette in the cage. And all of a sudden, I've got closer gear steps and all that stuff. But, like, how did that idea come about? Because that is a novel thing for Shimano. Absolutely. So, I mean, the biggest thing for us is as we're kind of looking at the market,
2: you know, when we came out with the first GRX, we're like, okay, this is what we think is perfect. And then as the bikes become more and more capable, we realized, you know, especially in the one by um, we needed wide range, you know, and, and more options because people were looking to use one by to go fast and have closer gear steps. And then
0: there were other people that just looked for total range. And so, for them, it was the XT, you know, it was a mount bike derailleur and cassette yeah. and now you have, it's still a mount bike cassette, but a GRX derailleur. Yes. So, so just to be clear, it's the cable pole is unique to road.
2: Okay. So a 12 speed, uh, mechanical shifter works the grx rear derailleur the like xt shift lever will not have the same cable so they're not compatible so that was but that was always the ask is well can't i run a a mountain bike rear derailleur with my road
0: shifter and kind of now you can okay so what was well before it was 11 speed so i guess yeah it didn't didn't think about this but you know before i was thinking like DI2, right? Like you would mm. run mix and match some 11-speed DI2 stuff to get that wider range. But how do you, I guess the big thing people are going to be probably excited about is you said cable pull. So this is a mechanical group yeah. first and, and only for now. You know, GRX right now as of this is 12-speed mechanical group, which is probably going to get a lot of people really happy. Yeah.
1: Well, there um, wouldn't have been previously a drop bar 12-speed shifter.
0: There we right?
1: go. So yeah, totally out there for you.
0: Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it works. <laughs> saving me here. Hey, real quick. I wanted to let you know this Bike Roomer podcast is brought to you by The Pros Closet. Spring is the perfect time to upgrade your ride. From top brands to niche names, TPC has a curated selection of new and certified pre-owned bikes for every discipline. Each certified pre-owned bike is inspected, tested, and serviced by expert mechanics. And every bike includes risk-free 30-day returns. Visit theproscloset.com slash bike and enter code podcast to save $40 on every order over $200. And now back to our episode. This Bike Rumor Podcast was brought to you by The Pro's Closet. Wherever you ride, The Pro's Closet has road, mountain, gravel, and e-bikes to get you there. TPC carries a curated selection of new and certified pre-owned bikes, and a constantly expanding selection of parts, accessories, and apparel. With available financing and competitive pricing, TPC has everything you need to gear up this season. Visit the slash bike rumor and enter code BR podcast to save $40 on every order over 200. Cool. So, yeah, so th- the derailleurs then, like, what was the where'd that spark come from to make the just make it so you could just swap the cages?
2: Well, you know, it, it's interesting. So, we had we already had this available on the mountain bike side. So, it, it was really kind of an evolution taking it to the gravel side. And that really helped us kind of speed up development as well, because we looked at, you know, what were the right gear ratios for a one by rider? And it really kind of nailed what we already had on the mountain bike side, which was the 1045 close gear step. And then the 1051. And and to be honest, I mean, the 1051 is probably 90% of mountain bike. Uh, You don't see that many 1045s, but we knew this was coming for gravel. And so we're like, keep them there because hmm. we're going to come along and we're going to have a lot more demand. So we, we really looked at what was the riding experience people were looking for? What kind of uh, gear ratios do we need for that? We kind of looked at our catalog that we already had and we said, we already have some cassettes and we have cassettes at XDR, XT, SLX, even down to Deore. So we could have a lot of options. We could have them sooner if we just kind of follow this path that we've already forged on the mountain bike side. We didn't want to give up anything. You know, that was the key. We didn't want to kind of limit the options just because we wanted to use some mountain bike cassettes we already had. just so happened that they worked out really well.
0: Right. Okay, so let's let's transition from cassettes because the cassettes have to attach to something. So there are some new gravel wheels, but the way the cassettes attach to those wheels is also new for gravel groups. You kind of took two standards that you... Are relatively recent, especially the HDL2, which I just realized actually had a name other than the other HG. <laughs> so HDL2 is the new 12-speed road free hub standard that introduced with Dura Ace last year and has just simply more splines, but is compatible with the new road 12-speed cassettes. That's correct. More or less. And so now you have that as an option on these new wheels and mountain bike micro spline. So depending on which cassette you're using. But yeah, tell us about the wheels because it's a new hub and everything, right?
1: Yeah, new absolutely. Wheels? So it retains the same carbon 25 mil internal rim that we had on our previous gen or our current, we would say, GRX wheel. Uh, but it has an all-new hub structure. So it uses J-Bend spokes, for example, and then it has uh, direct engagement freehub technology that we introduced, well, first on mountain bike. And then uh, it's also, it also features on our Dura-Ace wheels. And then this is a first for us. The same uh, hub has interchangeable free hub bodies. So it'll have, as you mentioned, a microspond if you're running a one-by setup or a Hyperglide or an HG l 2 uh, free hub body if you're running a two-by-twelve setup. I think it's important to point out the why of Hyperglide L2 um, because I think there's a lot of fatigue around. Well, what is the L? I'm just like,
0: boy, that's a good I haven't one. figured that one out yet. That's a good question. I'm not sure that I know actually.
2: Yeah. So I I guess the standard HG would be L1. Yeah, that's a good (laughs) question. You
1: you stumped us. You stumped us
2: there. Excellent.
1: But the why of the L2 is uh, to make a lighter freehead body. We can make it in aluminum. That's the why. You're saving. We were actually just discussing this and we can't recall specifically the weight savings, but it's actually a fairly significant weight savings for the aluminum HG L2 freehead body. Over the previous generation HG, which was a steel free hub body in almost every price point except Dura-Ace. So it's it's a weight savings.
0: And they Uh, were steel because people would be mashing on the cassettes and the the little grooves on the cassettes would edge into the And that
1: wouldn't pass QC if it was an alloy previously. And so this is a solution for that.
0: Um, so it's basically just more surface area. That's exactly. It's just right. given the cassette exactly more surfaces to push against so that it right. doesn't dig into them.
1: And the only downside is that it makes HGL2 12 speed specific. So you can't put an 11 speed cassette onto it. Right. So that would be the case for this new RX880 gravel wheel uh, and it's the same with our our current Dureus 9270, and yeah. uh, we can't put an 11-speed free uh, cassette
0: on Which, it, on at some point, we just have to accept the fact that that's right. things are moving forward, everything's yes. going to 12-speed, and there's going to be some stuff that's just not going to be backwards compatible. We appreciate
2: your understanding, Tyler. Yeah, thank you. Um, the good news, though, is that the 12-speed kind of 2-by cassettes can be uh, backwards compatible. That's right. So if you had a wheel set already, and you're going to run 2-by, you can use that. If it has a standard HG spline... So that's like our Ultegra wheels that came out uh, with the new 12-speed has that spline. The GRX wheel that Nick mentioned that was launched last year has that spline as well. So if you bought that GRX wheel
0: set last year, it's still good if you're using two-by. Yeah. So the cassettes can work backwards with HG. That's right. Yeah, that's right but the HGL-2 will not work with older cassettes because there's a little, yeah. Yeah. Okay. bravo. So if you're not confused yet, or if you are, sorry, (laughs) Um, we're going to move on a little bit from that. Uh, The other, I don't know. I want to say big change. It wasn't, you know, I don't know. Change is the ergonomics of the levers, which were already really good, especially, and not the levers so much, but the hoods, you guys kept the same lever shape, which is, fantastic for gravel because so it's got that big flat braking surface that's easy with one or two fingers, but you changed the angle of the flat part of the top of the hoods to be flat when mounted on flared handlebars, which is pretty smart. It's a subtle little thing, right? Mm-hmm. But they were really comfortable when we rode today.
2: And that's one of the things we've done specifically for GRX compared to Altegra or dura is really making it kind of user-specific because we know that the majority of gravel riders are going to be using some type of flared bar. So we wanted to build the, the, the shift lever around that and not just kind of take the road stuff and, and drop it in and call it a day. So that's kind of where, you know, kind of GRX lives is we're trying to build some things that are uh, maybe take some of the technology from the road but make it specific to
1: gravel. And it is a subtle change, but I would also argue the longer you're on your bike, the less it becomes subtle. I mean, it's, it's hard to appreciate the lacking of something like discomfort, you know, but it, it is a change and it's appreciated on those longer rides.
0: Yeah. I actually want to jump back to the hubs for a second because it's the new or newish engagement system is fairly quiet but I have two questions that you may or may not enjoy. Uh, The first is you didn't want to talk about the degrees of engagement during the presentation. I'm kind of curious why, because that is a a metric that a lot of people look at. And, you know, I do because I really enjoy it. Like even for road, like, you know, mountain bike, people are a little more particular with getting really small degrees of engagement because you're kind of like sometimes like, bouncing the pedals and picking your way up little stuff. Whereas road, you typically have a tighter cadence, right? But I think gravel splits that a little bit and people are going to really wonder what is the degrees of engagement of that hub. So let's start with that one. It's honestly something that we,
1: I don't know that we typically even quantify it too, too much, or it's certainly not something we really even speak about. Um, it's a game that, that some manufacturers want to play and that's, that's great, you know? And, and if you enjoy that really fast engagement, then wonderful. Um, but I think that, you know, Shimano was always focused on reliability and performance. And for us, we think this, this hits the mark is that it's, it creates this incredible feeling of connection between the crank, the pedal, the shoe, I can go on and on. Cause we make all of these things and they do, they really are designed as a system. So I've just very cleverly sidestepped your question <laughs> uh, and not answered it at
0: all. Yeah. Very well done. Okay. It's fairly quick for people who are interested. It <laughs> it, se- it quick. seems quick enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh the other one about this is I remember when XTR the latest the current version of XTR first came out there was a, a Silence Hub mm-hmm. spelled not like Strangely. normal silence yeah. yet but <laughs> but the idea behind it yeah. was really cool and I think the what you guys are using now is an iteration of that but slightly different but what was the, the what was the issue with Like, why not use the full silence hub that was completely quiet?
2: It was overall durability, you know, we, um, the consistency of the silence and really like we we talked about, you know, it's, it's all about the performance and the quality. And with that original silence hub, it wasn't, it didn't meet our standards, honestly. So we may revisit it sometime in the future, but it, the technology that it was based on is what the direct engagement is. Mm-hmm. And like I said, that's what we're using on the Durace wheel set. That's what you see on the Pro Tour. Right. Um, I think it's, like it's on sprint. XT hubs as well, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah, it is. Yep. Yeah. But I mean, that's what we're using on, with our Pro Tour teams, with all our big sprinters. It's incredibly durable um, and very reliable.
0: Yeah. So and that
2: was, nearly silent. And <laughs> nearly silent. <laughs> but, you know, just to get it to that silent, it wasn't perfect. All right. So, like I said, maybe someday in the future we'll come back to that, but cool. Or maybe we'll introduce it and you just won't hear it. Yeah.
0: Well, I <laughs> feel like <laughs> there, right there are some it. things that you guys have introduced over the years, including with like, you know, kind of leading up to this GRX group, because you mentioned the brakes that, like, if you had bought one of the first gen GRX groups very recently, you probably have the new brake calipers on it. So, and, and you're not the only brand that does this. And it always surprises me that, changes, yeah, there's yeah. these rolling changes that these brand, you know, major brands that mm-hmm. should probably talk about this stuff. And they just, they don't. I always curious, like, is there, do you, are you just like, oh, it's just new brake calipers, whatever, you know, <laughs> and just assume people aren't going to be super interested in it?
2: You know, with the calipers, you know, we come up with a new design, a better design that we can move towards uh, retrofitting new, uh, existing groups. It's kind of nice, you know, one. It, okay. it,
0: but why not talk about it? That's what, that's what surprises me. As like a, a media person. I'm like always looking for a cool story. Right. And you would think the brand would be like, Hey, we have a story to tell. Like, but then like, there's so many of these little rolling changes that we'll find out about like two years later. Oh yeah. We did that like two years ago. I'm like, what? Why, did, why didn't you tell us about <laughs> <You> know, it?
1: <laughs> the people who actually notice them first are, are bike shop mechanics. I would argue because something, the caliper as an example, when you change the process for bleeding a brake especially when you improve it like we have with Durace, Altegra 105, GRX Limited, and now the GRX 12-speed mechanical. It's a big deal to them. But for a lot of people, it's not a selling feature, right? So I, I think it's, it's a communication thing. Like we, We're always trying to communicate on a lot of different levels simultaneously. So whether it's an end user or a consumer, whether it's one of our OE customers or whether it's the bike shop or whether it's media, we kind of have to set our priorities. And I think sometimes, like, well, the CL Rotor is another good example. That was introduced last year and it hasn't gotten a lot of press because so many things are happening. And it's just, sometimes it comes down to attention span as well. And sometimes
0: we're tired. Sometimes (laughs) Sometimes you just need a break. Yeah, we're
1: just really tired. I could
0: send this email, but no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The one thing I've actually wanted to ask you guys this, or somebody from Shimano this for a while. So since I have you here captive, Mm -hmm. um, the one thing I've noticed with um, the road wheels in particular is... There's never, at least I've never noticed Shimano to talk a big story about aerodynamics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and there used to be maybe like six or seven years ago, it seemed like every wheel brand was talking about like how, OR oh, dynamics are the best, right? And then they'd yeah. go in another one would go into the wind tunnel and say, well, ours are the best. And it's, it was literally a nuance of what yaw angle. Mm-hmm. And it would get to the point where like pretty much every good brand that makes good wheels now, the aerodynamics are pretty good. I mean, you're yeah. talking about differences of, Small degrees of nuance, and you know, no, you're right. But the you point is, that then you have, that you have Shimano like that, yeah, then yeah. The Shimano just kind of like, yeah, here's our new Durace wheels, they're good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> yeah, and, and what I would say is that that's my answer would be twofold, and Dave might have a, a separate or a different answer. But my, as a former editor myself, and then someone who worked in PR and someone who now does marketing, I think there's a lot of healthy. And sometimes just jaded skepticism around any of those claims. Any time a manufacturer makes a claim, you should be skeptical because they're trying to sell you something, right? And so we would prefer to be quieter about it. It's a very Shimano thing. It's a very Japanese thing to do. It's just kind of humbly present something to the world, and for instance, let Ineos do the talking for us when they're racing our wheels. We're very excited to see it. I think that's pretty good validation, you know. And we don't need to shout about everything all the time. That that's kind of my take on it. Is that that due to the skeptical nature of the market and due to our Shimano way, so to speak, kind of don't need to, you know, Darius wheels are amazing. And, um, instead of making claims about how amazing they are, we encourage you to try our pair out.
0: All right. What's the product side answer? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I think also, you know, there is kind of parody in the world today. You know, there's, uh, mm. I think, like you said, you're, you're kind of like uh, splitting hairs at this point. You know, all the wheels, they're all really good. Yeah. It's just like a lot of the gravel bikes, the road bikes are really good, yeah. you know? So focusing on that, I think, is maybe less important to people. Right. Now they're like, okay, if I buy a nice wheel set, I'm expecting it to, to be aerodynamic. It's going to ride well. Kind of like you would expect your road bike. You know, it's like, okay, there's a base level of performance that's already built into this product now that I don't really need to ask about that. Right. What are some of the other things? Like, you know, in the case of the dura wheels, we build, we build this overbuilt front wheel for sprinters. C60. You know, C60. So it's something like that I think is, you know, it could be more interesting, especially to a bigger rider or, a, you know, a faster rider. Yeah. Stuff like that.
1: Yeah.
0: And you have the nearly silent direct Mm -hmm. engagement. Yeah. Quasi silence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Quasi silence. Very good. Yeah. What else do you want people to know about the new GRX? What have I not asked that's Mm -hmm. exciting to you? It's going to be available. (laughs) Yeah. We we mentioned that. That's good. So I I remember a a little while ago, like when, when the full line of mountain bike, 12 speed groups came out from Mm -hmm. zero up to XTR, I did a a video, which ended up being like way longer than I thought, that really broke down all the little details between like each of the different components, right? Because what a lot of people don't realize, it's like, it's not just colors or like going from like an alloy cage to a carbon cage for the pulleys. You know, there's Mm -hmm. like the the tolerances are different, right? The bushings that hold the pins that hold the plates together are different. The chains are different. You know, some, some inner plates have coatings, some outer plates have coatings and some have both, right? Or some have none. I mean, there's just, it was like, literally, I think I was talking about chains for 10 minutes. And I'm like, nobody's going to watch this, but it's fascinating. <laughs> so like, tell me like, what are two little stupid nerdy things about the new GRX group that nobody would even think to ask about or probably care about until they know about it. And they're like, Whoa, that's awesome. <laughs> I don't know if they'll
2: care about it as much, but I, I think it's really cool that we actually study the, the grip on the, the hoods. We looked at the, um, the shapes and the actual, the the height of the kind of the ribs on the the hoods. And we tried some that were like 0.5 millimeters. And we did some, that were a millimeter high and with little sensors and things like that on people's hands, we could tell when it was getting to be, you know, uncomfortable. You know, if, if the, the little grip got too high It started to hurt your hand over, you know, an hour ride or so. But if the grip, you know, the the rib was a little too low, it was basically useless. So just to let you know that our engineers geek out over some really small, what you would think would be small details on a hood of a gravel ST lever. But we spent a lot of time on that
0: and, you know, kind of proud of it. And you ended up at 0.8 millimeters, 0.8 if I millimeters remember right. Is, yeah, I thought when you, when you were talking about that in the presentation and, and you said you tried taller, I thought you were going to say you had squirm, right? Because sometimes yeah. taller ribs here. can yeah. squirm a right. little. But yeah. yeah, the pressure points, I was actually kind of surprised. Cause, yeah. So we'll, we'll call this the Goldilocks. Yeah, there <laughs> we <know>. go. <laughs> you know, the texture on the hoods, you know, it's, it was a little too le- little, a little too much. got okay. it just right. Perfect. So, and then on the brake levers, there's actually a non-slip coating that came over from the fishing line. But like, what is it? What's the coating? Does it get tacky when it's wet or just like, it's, how does that work exactly?
2: Yeah, you can feel like it. It's got a little more um, texture to it. But when your fingers are wet or your gloves are wet, um, you, you don't slip like right? as you would with like an anodized lever blade.
0: Hmm. So it just gives you a little bit more secure feeling. And is that a, just a coating that can wear off over time or is it like a Pretty you know, durable. Whatever.
1: I mean, it, it could in yeah. a crash something you can see some scrapes in it. Yeah, but yeah, it's like pretty it's durable.
2: It comes from a fishing rod that gets pretty heavily used in saltwater, right. so it's it's pretty durable. So
0: we're doing saltwater spray tests with it, exactly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so you pair that with the 0. 0.8 ribs yeah. on the hood shape, and its
1: your hands
0: are stuck to it. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Awesome, guys. Well, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it, and it was a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for your time. Thanks, If you like this episode and have a product or tech you're curious about, head over to bikerumor.com slash podcasts and fill in the form to submit your idea. You'll also find links and photos for this episode there, plus a link to this and every other episode we've ever recorded. If you really like this and want more, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and leave us a rating and review. That's the grease that keeps our wheels spinning over here in podcast land and it helps us keep getting amazing guests for you. You can find us on social. We're at BikeRumor on all the things. And if you like random entrepreneurship, NFT, Web3, cycling stuff, you'll find me at Tyler Benedict on all the social channels. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep the rubber side down.